What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Release the Eight podcast. My name is Bo Corsetto, and here I am with Linton Daniel, who you're very familiar with by now. And then we've got a second guest in Peyton yes. Jones, um, a longtime friend, even though we haven't hung out very much, but I guess church planting friend from Southern California. He comes by way of Carlsbad, which is just a little bit north of San Diego, south of Los Angeles. And he and I got to know each other probably around 2012-ish when, when I was in the LA area and we started writing on Release the Ape. I remember him writing me right away going, dude, this is awesome. I want to be part of this. And he was already part of it. This guy is an ape um, to the fullest and has a number of uh, writings himself. Um, so you need to check out his books, check out his website. Um, I hope I'm getting this right, but newbreed.org, right? Am I getting that right? It's actually newbreednetwork.org. Oh, newbreednetwork.org. <laughs> Strike that from the record, newbreednetwork.org. And um, Peyton, we would just love for you just to spend a couple minutes. Tell us about yourself. I mean, we had you on here. Let me just say that because I've always loved this brother's energy. He's all about planting, all about evangelism, all about being on the edge. I think even his language in, in a helpful way is, is super masculine and speaks to just kind of the, the, you know, the ambitious young male that wants to get out there and make, make a dent for the kingdom. And I love that. And I, I've always been captivated by him. I love the way he talks as, as I've been in my journey for growing as an apostolic leader, which was new language for me. You heard that in a, in a former podcast, Peyton was just one of those guys, totally owning it, totally pushing forward a hundred percent. And so we've just cross pollinated through writing, um, through the exponential network, um, just different places. And it's always like one of those guys where you're like, okay, I know that guy's with me. Like maybe no one else is, but I know that guy is. And so he's doing a lot of great things. Um, mainly right now he's training church planters. Um, like we said, through the new breed network, and you can check that out. And, um, Peyton's just, you know, I, I call him, you know, one of the most interesting men in the world. He's, he's done a lot of cool <laughs> things and been in a lot of cool places. And so with that, um, Peyton, just tell us a little bit about yourself, like your family, um, why you're on this podcast, like what stirs you about the APEST and just tell us, tell us what would be helpful for anyone listening to get some of your context so that, when we dive into the conversation, they know where you're coming from. Yeah, I appreciate that. And it's so cool being on here. I mean, yeah, uh, Release the Ape to me was one of the coolest things that come out in the last 10 years. Uh, I read every single article. I got Whoa. the, you know, it fed into my new my uh, email feed. And it was just good. And it was a helpful tool. And you guys are really unpacking so many aspects from practitioners on the ground. That's what I loved about it is there would be an evangelist talking about evangelists. Uh, there'd be a prophetic uh, leader talking about uh, the prophetic function of the APEST. And so uh, it's an honor to be here. I've, I've you know, recommended you. Of course, I, I, I think when I was running a, uh, an exponential uh, workshop, um, track. I was like, well, let's get Bo Crisetto on mine. I heard that you were looking for one. I was like, hey, pop him in mine. This this dude preaches the gospel. He's on campuses, man, with the with the frat houses. I love this guy. Let's get him on there. So, and of course, you've been on my podcast. So, and I met Linson today and resonated mm -hmm. a bunch. I guess my story uh, was very sin uh, similar to his because um, what happened with me was I did not believe in the apest. I, I suppose I came out of a Calvary Chapel Moses model 
which uh, over the years, you know, that's the dude at the top of the pyramid, but over the years, God's turned that upside down for me where, um, you know, you're at the bottom of the pyramid equipping and spreading everyone else like a shotgun blast. And, you know, but, but I had these dreams and ambitious. I, I, I went into ministry very young, thought I was going to be a preacher, had this one size fits all model, but I was a square peg fitting into a round hole. What I didn't realize was God had wired me to be apostolic. And so I left this mega church in a growing Calvary Chapel uh, in Southern California. I was the next pastor in line. And I had God kind of prophetically speak to me on the beach on my honeymoon and say, don't take it. It's not for you. And I knew I was heading to the mission field. So I came back and told the elders, hey, you know, I'm going to Wales in about five years. I think the timeline just sped up because I think I'm going sooner. Well, one story leads to the next and we don't have time for it. But I ended up being the evangelist of Martin Lloyd-Jones's Dockside Presbyterian Church there. And uh, this right here, your viewers can't see. That's not a wrinkle. I got a lot of wrinkles, but that is a scar from a rugby player beating my head in on a Sunday morning. It was a rough place, a steelworking town. People (laughs) spoke with their fists. There were no guns, so a gun-carrying society is a polite society. But you say the wrong thing in a community like that, you punch in the head. And, uh, you know, so, you know, over the years, I, I started learning to, to, to evangelize some of the real frontline stuff, preach in the open air, all the stuff door-to-door because the J-dubs mm. weren't big over there. There was so many things that we did that I just remember um, going out and doing that and feeling like, I hate this stuff. <laughs> You know, I I don't want to do this, but church planning was something that had been a part of my history. Coming from Calvary Chapel, I'd help plant in Hungary and New Zealand, and now I'm in Wales, and Lloyd-Jones' church is planting their first church out, and so I helped spearhead that. Then I went to a Baptist church that kicked me in the teeth. Um, You know, I was doing a bunch of university work there, tons of people coming to faith, uh, supernatural things happening. It was pretty epic. And then when the church kicked me in the teeth, I told God, hey, I quit. And fast forward to I'm working at Starbucks, getting ready to come home. And this is when I start tapping into the apostolic gene. Um, Somebody kind of said to me, uh, because we had done this uh, Dan Brown Da Vinci Code reading group, and 30 non-believers turned up the first night. And it was a one night only for me. And I'm, I'm just trying to mind my own business, come back to America. And the second night, 40 people turned up because they begged, can we do it again? And I was like, I, I, I guess. And we just talk about the book again. And somebody said, well, we're talking about Jesus and, you know, drinking good coffee and nobody's yelling at us. This, this was fun. So we did it the third night. And I'm really thinking, Lord, I, 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 I didn't go into this, but I was mad at God. I was like, God, you know, that thing back there at the church, you let me down. You know, um, I did the right thing. And every everybody... Um, and you told me to resign because, again, another prophetic, you know, that's been a theme with me is giving ministry away, having things that might be considered nice or position. And God just going, you don't need that. Give it away, you know. And so as as even then I was kicking into the apostolic gene um, without realizing that I wasn't made for a long time. I was made for a good time. I was there to, to like a ninja, get in, get out quick. Strike with the gospel, raise up leadership, and blow the heck out of Dodge, disappear back into the shadows. As we were doing this thing in the coffee shop, uh, this New Testament um, uh, professor at a local seminary said, you know, you, uh, 
you're you're more apostolic and i said well thanks a nice thing for you to say but my theology won't allow me to 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 believe in those things and there's that kind of i don't know if you i put this in the book uh church plantology but um there's that uh scene in um or or if you've read the book the call of the wild where buck the dog keeps encountering what he calls the wolf brother which is like this ancestral, like his wolf spirit, you know, that keeps uh, calling him from the edge of the woods to get back out there into the wild. And so that pulls on him throughout the book. Well, I think I was feeling this, you know, the wild brother, you know, uh, calling me that the apostolic function that I had read about in the pages of Acts, I'd read about in the gospels, um, but, but ministry, modern ministry was nothing like that. And the closest I got to that, were those moments, you know, in the Starbucks. And that did eventually become a church plant. And once that plant got started with almost 100% unbelievers, um, I was hooked. And that was kind of my foray into the apostolic. But again, that sense of wanting to give everything away, that has been a constant to me where I don't want to be the guru, the star, the the, the main, I want Christ to be exalted, but I want to equip and empower everybody. And over the years, my theme of ministry has been, I'm God's greatest practical joke. If he uses me, he can use you. And that's the joke he's playing on everybody. Wow. That's captivating, man. Um, before we go any further in serious content, we can't just say you got punched in the face by a rugby player at church and then not <laughs> tell us what you said or what was this guy's problem? So please give us the one minute version yeah. of why you have a scar on your face from a rugby player on Sunday morning. Like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. I was going into the church and it was a case of road rage. We still have no idea what it was. I was being welcomed in and they were preaching on Tobias and Sambalit in, uh, <laughs> uh, in, in the scripture. And so it was, it was kind of uncanny. Um, everybody saw it as kind of like, this must be some spiritual attack. Dude never said he wanted, just pick me up started shaking me off the ground, cussing at me, screaming, he's a big Reuter on the juice. And uh, and he flipped me around and beat my head unconscious until some lady started screaming, he's gonna kill him. And at which point he stopped. Now walking down the street at that moment was the ex-headmistress who said, young man, that's not acceptable. He recognized her when he was in elementary school, thought she recognized him. And so he stopped. And he waited for the police. The lady had already called the police and he, he got put away. And there's more of a story later. But yeah, that's we're just happened. outside the church, not even talking to him. He just attacked you. Yeah, I was parking my car. Oh getting ready my to go God. into church. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. Well, we gotta talk about that more sometime. <laughs> um, so, I bear on the, on my body the marks of Christ Jesus. <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, I'll I'll ask this next question then, Linton. Um, you know, you can you can follow up next. Uh, tell us a little bit about your church plantology. Um, you know, and as we've talked, you, you get into the book about some of the early church and Paul, and I love the way you talk about it and the language you so. Tell us a little bit about how now, as you've discovered the apostolic, you know, this wild wolf that's been calling to you, I'll call, I'll say, I love that image, by the way. How are you thinking the apostolic? Like, how are you training people? How, how are you living into that now? And like, what kind of language are you using? Yeah. So, you know, as, as you 
kind of get into church plantology, the book starts off with uh, Mr. Keating from Dead Poet Society. And there's that famous scene where he has everyone rip the introduction out of their poetry book. And he goes, that's not poetry. That's not how you study poetry. And, and I think the book kind of picks a fight at the beginning and says, look, a lot of what's being talked about out there as church planning is really church starting. Um, it, it looks nothing like what the apostles did. You know, get a, get a sexy church name, a flashy uh, church website, um, do a bunch of marketing, which replaces evangelism in some cases, um, and do all this other stuff. And then, uh, you know, hope you have the best service that uh, no, no unbeliever ever heard about, but all the other church, you know, uh, siphon off or Christians come to or whatever. And, and I basically just say, hey, I'm not interested in that, and that's not this kind of book. Plantology is the study of church planning. Like, what did Paul do? So it starts with scripture. Think of it as three overlapping circles, and in the middle where they all overlap is what's known as a plantology principle. So the principles I'm trying to, to, to mine out for this book is, number one, can I see this observed in scripture? That's the first circle. Number two, is this an American thing or is this something that that actually has global missional uh, application? Do global missionaries all over discipleship movements, you know, are they experiencing these things that we see in scripture? And if that's the case, then obviously we're going to find in church history when the kingdom of God expands that these things are going to pop up again, like in the Wesleys, the Moravians, you know, other places, Korea, right? Um, uh, through Robert Germain Thomas, who, by the way, was a Welshman. So you, you can't spend 12 years in Wales and not call attention to that. So, uh, or, you know, really the the, the, what I'm looking for are these principles, and that's the science of church planning. But church planning, as we all know, is not about methodology. It, the principles are given to us because those are, those are things that are timeless, right? Plantology principles are saying that you can plant anywhere amongst anyone at any time. Right. But the methodology, the Bible doesn't give us methodology. Mm -hmm. And there's a good reason for that, because that's where the fun comes in. That's the art of church planning. So the subtitle of the book is The Art and Science of, of Planting Churches. So, you know, what I want to do is I want to rediscover what Paul and the apostles, what Jesus was spending three years trying to teach the 12 to do. And if we can do those things, church planning is a result. It's the effect. It's not the cause. You can't focus on planting churches or you lapse back into starting churches. Make disciples like Ralph Moore said. Ralph Moore said, if you make disciples, churches will be planted. Sorry, that's my train and he's laying on heavy today. But if you, if you start a church, discipleship doesn't naturally happen. So you focus on these other things and church planning is the effect and not mm. the cause. Yeah, I, mean, I love that paint. I mean, it's true. It, it, it the the Great Commission is not to go out and plant churches, right? It's uh, you know, to to preach the gospel and make disciples. And I like what you're saying there. If the church is a result of our missionary action and activity and our love for God, like our our intimate connection under the lordship of Jesus Christ, at the intersection of that, of our activity and our love for God and bringing others along with that, a church somehow is planted you know and i wonder if that's uh even in, in the way you're using the word there's one about starting which was like starting a business starting something that yeah. feels very american and western you got a ceo at the top you've got an accounting group you've got the marketing team and that feels like we're, we're borrowing from a se sector of society 
that's in some ways can be helpful, but in other ways, uh, totally disconnects us from the idea of planting something in fertile soil, you know, like going to a place and working hard to see people come to Christ. And, and in the midst of that, a church comes together. Uh, that, that is, that feels really different. I, I'm in, I'm in Dallas right now. So I'm in the, in the buckle of the Bible belt, you know, so everyone's coming here to start a branch of their church, you know? So um, it's, uh, I see that, you know, the church in a box, the, the logos, the, the brand name recognition of a church, and they come and they set up these things. But uh, to your point, all I really see in my city is people just shifting, church people shifting from one church, moving to another brand or form of church. And then they, they keep shifting around. And I actually think in all of that shifting, we lose people and the church is actually getting smaller and smaller because mm. we're, we're just church. We're starting churches. We're not actually planting churches. Mm. So, I mean, that's, that's really remarkable. So in a lot of ways, when you describe that, uh, there is a lot of functions. Like I heard you talk about sharing our faith. I heard you about, I heard you like teaching people. I heard you talk about like getting in there and organizing and uh, you know, being able to say the tough thing. I mean, it sounds like you're bringing, together a lot of the functions of the ape or the apest altogether versus uh you know coming in there with the right strategy you know so i'm curious i mean uh you know our podcast is about you know the ape you know so are you saying that you kind of need a, a group of people that have all these functions you know to come together to start a church or plant a church rather <laughs> Yes. I mean, yes and no, because yes, um, church planning is a team sport, right? Um, we make it like a solo sport, you know, like, oh, I, I do the javelin or the shot put. No, it's it's football. It's soccer. It's it's you know, it's it's a team sport. But I mean, I, in my experience and even in the New Testament, you often don't find all five members of the APEST in one room planning a church. I wish that was the case. But what often happens is you plant the apostolic uh, might have what I call a strike team, a team that that goes out. Like if you see Paul, right, he doesn't plant alone. He's always with others, but he ups his game on team recruitment. So obviously, like I'll, I'll tell people, the first thing that Jesus did was recruit a team. In fact, the thing he spent the majority of his first three years, and we talk about that, you know, how did Jesus train him? And um, I really am passionate about people learning to train up people like Jesus did because Jesus was a master trainer. He designed our brain. He designed everything about us. I mean, if, if, if you're going to learn how to train a team, learn from Jesus. And there's way more in there than we ever give credit for. If you go back and study the scripture in that way, it'll blow your mind. I've got a ton of that in there, right? In fact, I've got one section where Paul says, I laid a foundation like a wise and master builder. And I'm like, okay, so what were his blueprints? What was he working off of? You know, what, what, what knowledge did he come to the table? What did he learn from the Old Testament that he could apply to church planting? So Paul will say things like, hey, uh, don't muzzle the ox while he treads the grain. Is it oxen he's talking about or concerned about? You know, Paul, Paul brings all this Old Testament stuff. So he's like that man bringing out of his treasury things old and new. There were things about God that never changed that Paul brought with him to his um to his his game but there was a lot he learned from jesus like he had to go back and learn like you can imagine he's he's talking to barnabas on their first missionary journey he's just picking his brain okay tell me more 
uh, John Mark, tell me more. What else? What else did Jesus do? He's trying to learn from Barnabas, who's hanging out with the twelve for years, gleaning all this, and he's trying to he's trying to pattern because after Paul's first missionary journey, it's just Barnabas, John Mark, and Paul. Um, the Galatian heresy happens, and so Paul gets back to Antioch, and he's thinking, man, I have to leave more people behind. I I need to start raising people up. And, and training up. And that's what Paul starts to do. That's the genius of his second missionary journey is Paul starts really pouring all into teams. So he goes back to Lister and Derby and Iconium. He picks up Timothy and he takes him. He recruits Sylvanus. Every town he goes back to from his first missionary journey on the second missionary journey, he pull, he picks people up. Now, what he starts doing is he starts planting in teams and he'll he'll plant in a team and he'll raise up people and leave them behind. Sometimes the the strike team that he goes there with, um, he leaves behind what I call a fist team. The fist team stays, the strike team moves on. And they may be a blend in each town that he goes to. So the fist, meaning um, I always say make a fist, right? That's your apest. Um, apostolic is the thumb. The, the forefinger is the prophet always pointing to God. You know, what does God want about this? The middle finger brings the offense of the gospel. The ring finger is your relational shepherd. And the pinky is concerned with theological exactness. So when you drink a cup of tea in Britain, right? You know, extend the pinky just so, you know, there's an etiquette. Oh, that's Logical oh, etiquette, and then the, on a strike team, the uh, the apostolic he brings that fist together to make a, a gospel impact. And so the the fist team, when it moves around, uh, or excuse me, the strike team, it's there for impact, right? Boom. And then Paul, when he would stay on average three to four months, he would switch it up, raise up elders, leave maybe a couple people behind, and then recruit new people like Sylvanus or Timothy on his new strike team with some of the old and go back out. So. There's a whole different um, way of doing team planting. And I actually, towards the end of the book, in game, if I can use a Marvel Avengers illustration, <laughs> in the end game, I talk about, you know, today, like we'll throw out like, like 15 church planners. I worked for the Send Network for a little bit and was, was training them and helped write their curriculum. And one of the things that, that the practice always drove me nuts was they would take 15 solo planners, throw them out, and you know, like spaghetti on the wall, see which ones stick. And maybe two would out of 15, maybe three. So one fifth of them. Whereas what, what I've learned to do is train up 15, but send them in teams of three or five to team plan with the idea that a year from now, two years from now, you're going to break off and you're going to be hardwired for multiplication. I've got a diagram in there that shows if you send 15 out in separate directions, in five years, you've got maybe two, maybe one of those planted out against, so you've got maybe three, uh, one of those two survivors. But if you take 15 and you put them in teams, the growth is exponential. Those churches don't tend to fail. A, because with teams, um, they can be bivocational. I'm going to go into all that in the book. So it's an APES, bivocational, um, egalitarian. I mean, the book is basically, it's got all these different values bringing to the table that you don't often see church planning books uh, come to the table with today. So I, I felt for years like this is, this is the church planning book that I always wished had been written. But it hadn't been. So it, it is a bit of a paradigm shift. That's fascinating. Um, Linson, how where's your mind go when you hear him talking about this? Like, 
what, what are some yeah. of the things you're thinking or questions you have? I mean, I'll, I'll rift off that in a second too, but I want to give you a shot if your mind is going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I find it fascinating that, you know, like even like one of my favorite passages to preach, you know, is, you know, I think it was Acts 13, right? You know, they're at Antioch and they're praying, but it, it just hit me today when I was reading verse one, it says the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, you know, so you see that, all right, in the, in the gift set of these five people praying together, there, the text starts off by saying there are prophets and teachers in this mix. And then the Holy Spirit says set apart, you know, Paul and Barnabas, you know, and I'm sure they've got some gifts set too, but even Antioch, the church that we all like have a major crush on, because it's like sending people out from all over the place. Um, even there, uh, you see the prophet and the teacher mix gift set there. And, and it just started to make me think um, like the function of the apostolic to kind of organize, you know, sisters and brothers together in a way that they make an impact in a network or impact in a corner of the community or a, a, a group in the community. And I don't know, I'm just thinking more and more about that, how that takes um, a load off of that solo planter to yeah. think that they've got to have all the genius, all the strategy, all the planning. There's just something about partnership in that, that feels, uh, feels right. You know, right. I, that's where I'm, I am at the moment, you know, thinking about that. Um, I, I love that you brought that up because um, one of the things I bring up is that often apostolics, um, they do not start off as apostolics. I have met some who do, um, but usually what God does is kind of like Paul. Was he a prophet or a teacher? Who was he? What was his function in Antioch up to that point? I don't think he saw himself as an mm -hmm. apostle until the Holy Spirit said set apart. Mm -hmm. And I bring this up in the book that often apostolics, because they've got a little bit of all five in them, Right. It's kind of like a one man band. If you go to the city center, you see the guy with the big trombone and the, the cymbals on his knee and the harmonica and the guitar. And he's he's a one man band. It's impressive for a few minutes. And then you go, but I would never buy this CD. And that's the apostolic because they they are the startup function. Right. Sometimes they have to carry the load of the other apest functions that aren't present, but they're they're not wired for to do those in the long run. But wow. so God will often take you in your development. Like I was a teacher and then an mm -hmm. evangelist. I mentioned mm -hmm. that going to Lloyd Jones's church, but mm -hmm. God took me. And then I went to that Baptist church and I learned to be a shepherd a small little church with people's real problems and so so god will often take the apostolic on a whistle stop tour through the other mm. functions until wow. they realize like paul oh wait i'm apostolic and then they develop into that and so um but i i, I love so much of of what you said there because that is, I was just grinning when you were talking because there is so much to unpack and there's even synergy and blind spots. So imagine having a teacher and a prophet in a church. That's like having a John Piper and a Bill Johnson, which people, depending on, you know, which camp you're from, you just, all of you heard that one Ugh, on one side of that equation. But imagine what happens when you, when you put teachers and prophets together, the prophet or excuse me, the teacher goes, hey, prophetic guy, um, you're kind of off here. Like, I, 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 I like where your heart's at, 
but your theology is a little off. Can we just get back to center here, get back to the scripture? And the prophet goes, okay, John Piper, that's cool that you can expound all this, but can you do any of it? Let's invite the Holy Spirit into this so we can actually start seeing the things that you're talking about. And so when you put those combinations together, and I and I have a whole section in, in church plantology that's called synergy and blind spots. So for me as an apostolic, you put me with a prophet, it's unfair. We're just gonna tear it up, right? It's there's gonna be we're gonna be damage dealers for the kingdom. But even though I have synergy with prophets, I need the teacher. I'm, that's my blind spot. And one of the things I bring out is when you're apostolic or any of these functions, it's not a boast. Like, this is my strength. Mm. What you're actually confessing is I have four weaknesses. And these are my mm-hmm. four weaknesses. My greatest weakness is shepherding. So, and I, I talk about in the book that, um, you know, all the times I want to start a church in a truck stop. And they're like, well, you know, the shepherdess. What about the kids? Oh, don't worry. Burger King has a ball pit. So we'll march the kids over to the Burger King and we're going to do this. And then, or in, you know, urban Long Beach, we're going to get this gas station on the corner where the worst drive-bys are. What about the kids? Don't worry. There's a pit in the garage where, where uh, you know, the, the mechanics get on cars. We'll have Sunday school down in the pit. And, and, and usually it's a shepherd that put, because I'm fully convinced <laughs> this is what we're supposed to do. And uh, and and the shepherd pulls me back from the brink and balances me, and mm-hmm. I need that. And of course, uh, Bo, you'll know the evangelist, right? Yeah, the the evangelist, because I know you're more apostolic. I know you've got a strong evangelist in you. Um, we all know the evangelists proper, and they are so hard to wrangle and so hard to manage. <laughs> They're worth their weight in gold, but you know, uh, the 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 evangelist needs all four. Pulling on the, you know, to ground the evangelist. The grand, the evangelist is hard to ground. So, anyways, I'll shut up. But uh, that's that's just a sneak peek into the book there. No, I mean that's awesome. We we only got a few more minutes here. This is awesome things. I mean, I'm personally captivated by the strike team and fist team. I, I think you need to develop some more of that. Like, keep talking about it. Um, I think that's powerful. Uh, especially someone who is doing a lot of planting on college campuses, doing a lot of evangelism. I think with the generational shift we're in right now with Gen Z, you know, what does it look like to really reach unchurched, unengaged young people? Um, We've talked a lot about this on the podcast, right? The political realities, the racial realities, the, the COVID realities. Mm -hmm. I think planting is, is becoming more and more difficult. I think, um, really getting in great conversations for impact with unchurched, unsaved, unengaged people is becoming more difficult. So the strike team idea is powerful. Like what does a strike team look like in 2021? It almost sounds offensive to say it. Um, like, you know, we're in cancel culture, you know, we're in a really sensitive time. Like aggression is not, um, at all PC, um, and I'm not saying that this is wrong. I, I'm just saying, like, I love the idea. Like, let, let's let's put a strike team in there. Let, let's put a strike team at this campus or in this city. Let's make an impact. So I guess closing thoughts, just a couple minutes from you, Peyton. Like, how, how can we think about strike teams in 2021? Like, given our current reality that is so inflamed, mm. um, people, I mean, they're ready to make a hashtag out of us right now. 
How do you, how do we deploy people into strike team mentality, which needs to be the kingdom advances by force, right? Like it's proper, but it feels like cringy in 2021. What would you say to our our listeners who are are feeling that tension? Yeah, you know, and and I think it was cringy even in Paul's day when he was using (laughs) so much of the military um, imagery because really it's just, it's how things advance. It's how kingdoms advance. And we remember our our kingdom is a heavenly kingdom. Um, It's not an earthly kingdom, but, you know, they were under Roman occupation and that was a dirty word. And, you know, any sense of, I mean, they were really sensitive to military domination. And yet mm. the scripture just keeps using that imagery to, to describe what the kingdom of God does, right? Um, it's more subversive. It's not done by force. It's actually done by surrendered submission. And you mentioned the word uh, conversation. You hit the nail on the head, and I knew you would because I've read Beyond Awkward. But there are two whole chapters in here on how to... Uh, have conversations. I believe that conversations equal conversions. That's why the the Gospel of John is the most evangelistic book. And nobody ever, you know, says, "Well, why is that?" Well, because it's a bunch of conversations with Jesus and the woman at the well, or Nicodemus. So I bring that out. That for me in Europe, I mean, the only way to to reach people, like in that Starbucks, was to host good conversations, group conversations. How does a strike team go in and host? Like we had this rad in a in a gate. We had an open mic night in a gay coffee house in urban Long Beach. Uh, it, we didn't know it was where Neil Cole years earlier had done a church plant. Um, it was just the next coffee shop near our church plant. So we went there and, um, you know, had this open mic night on uh, the doomsday calendar just for fun. And we were kind of goofing off with it because there's everybody was asking me back then, is the, is the world going to end? And of course, we knew it was going to end according to the mind calendar, but it was a fun combo. And we just threw it down like, hey, these are these are tricks to trade. This is how you do it. You start off, you buy everybody in the place a drink. Because when you do an open mic night, there's people trying to study. Um, there's people, you know, you so you right away ingratiate yourself um, yeah. with people. And you make sure your ratio is small enough to where you're not dominating the room. Um, you know, there's all these different things, these skills with ministry and public space. And I had written a whole nother book called Reaching the Unreached, Becoming Raiders of the Lost Art, which is all about public space ministry. COVID, who knew, right? Who knew the whole church is going to be forced? But there were things like, hey, how do we return to doing stuff outside or in the marketplace like the early church did? They didn't do anything in the temple hardly. Yeah, they met there daily, but it was house to house and they were out in the courts and stuff. So how do we recover that? And gosh, when they go to Judea and Antioch, this is all public space ministry. So there's two whole chapters on that. So I would would just end by saying, if that's something you want to do, Honestly, this is a book that probably is more about the theology of mission than even church planning, because it's not gunning for church planning. It's saying if you do this other stuff, you'll mm-hmm. you'll be stuck with the problem, quote unquote, of church planning. Oh, what do I do now? I've got a church plan on my hands. It just happens. <laughs> and uh, hopefully that's enough to 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 get people to say, you know what? I could I could probably tap into that and and benefit. I don't see it as just a church planning book. I see it as a book for everybody because everybody's a part of this APES thing. And to understand how we do that dance together is powerful. Well, awesome. Well, thank you. Um, 
this is a great conversation. I'm sure we're going to need a round two. I know, I know you've left me with a few nuggets um, that I'm, I'm excited. About. I already mentioned this, the whole strike team fist team is, is really captivating to me. And then um, I loved, I loved how you even talked about the one to four. Um, you didn't use the word ratio, but just, Hey, don't boast in your strength. Realize you got four weaknesses. You need a team. I think any young AP or E listening to this needs to hear that you mm. need a team. You need partners. You are not the man. You are not the woman. Um, I know the evangelist is the one typically giving the middle finger, but most <laughs> AP or E's are giving the middle finger to accountability yeah. or partnership. Don't do that. Don't be an idiot. Um, listen to, to me and Peyton and Linson. If you want to be a successful kingdom leader, get a good team with people that are strong in areas that you are weak. Um, I heard that loud and clear Linson, uh, closing thoughts. So yeah, can, what, what's grabbing you, man? Uh, I think, thank you, Peyton, for being with us. I, I feel a sense of release to know that I'm not here to start a church. I'm here. I'm here to bring people along in an, in an environment that such that I, a, a, a plant happens, not mm. because of any of our force or anything like that, but the kingdom of God is here. And, and, and to be a kind of a person that creates the greenhouse or creates the atmosphere, bringing the right people there. And I love that that ends up becoming the byproduct. And so it's almost mm. like how we all said we, we, we accidentally found our apostolic calling we were engaged in all these other things and then groups came together, communities came together. And now we had to ask ourselves, what are we going to do with that? And then we realized, oh, wait, that's a church. Oh, wait, that's a group of people. And, right. um, and I love that idea of like, go for the mission and the byproduct will be a church instead of going for a church and then finding mission on the back end of that. I mean, that's awesome. And I think it's actually freeing for a lot of young people as they listen to that, like, let's just get out there and do the right thing, be the right person. And I think God will bring something from that, you know? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, yeah. newbreednetwork.org. Yes. You got that right? Yep. So newbreednetwork.org. You can find a lot on, on Peyton there, his writing, how to get trained by him as a church planner. If you want, listen to his podcast, which is excellent. You can hear he's, he's an inspirational guy with lots of stories and lots of thinking uh, about mission mm-hmm. too and practice. So go follow him on social media as well. Just Google him. You'll find him and uh, check out his scar too. It's pretty cool. Um, with that, uh, please, please like, comment, subscribe um, yeah. on our YouTube channel or now, hey, we're on Apple now. I think we're on Spotify too. So you can listen to this audio version with that. Um, see you next week. Peace out and happy planting, propheticing, or evangelizing, (laughs) whatever that is. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you, Peyton. Thank you.